Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and just ask that you would take this service and use it to your honor and glory. Lord, I pray that we would uh, uh, be able to be strengthened and encouraged by the study that we do in your word. And Lord, that you would guide and direct us each step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, if you need an outline... And I just found a typo. I was very careful here tonight, but uh, it's actually lesson three in uh, searching for the true church. What we're doing is we're looking for the biblical example, the biblical pattern, and then uh, we will trace that pattern through history. Jesus made a promise. He said, I will build my church, therefore the church should be ordered, it should be practicing those things which Jesus taught. You know, that's, I was reading an article as we we're going on baptism. Um, how many of you have heard of Hank Handegraft? He calls himself the Bible Answer Man. And uh, it was absolutely amazing to read a very brief article he wrote on baptism. And uh, I don't have it. I didn't print it out. Uh, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but... He says, uh, he says, my father is uh, uh, some type of Protestant minister. I forget the actual denomination. I think it's uh, evangelical free or something. And he baptizes babies. Uh, I don't believe that you ought to baptize babies. But neither one of us have ever doubted each other's salvation. I thought, wow, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Because... How many of you in this church believe baptism has something to do with your salvation? Better not be raising your hands. Amen. And yet, he brings this up as a secondary and basically meaningless thing. As long as you have baptism as salvation, right? Baptism really doesn't matter. And we're going to start with the example of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 3. If you want to turn there, and I will tell you that it, it, it was actually after I got out of Bible college. It was very strange. I went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. You would think that in four years of Bible college training for the ministry, they would kind of explain the importance of baptism. Uh, they didn't. You see, the Bible college was headed where I was coming from. Uh, some of you know my history. I've shared it here. I was not raised in a Baptist church. My parents uh, were not Baptist uh, uh, in, in, the, in, in their beliefs. They were Baptistic. They were very close. In fact, the church that I grew up in now would identify itself as an independent Baptist church. They have changed their doctrinal statement and have solidified some things. And I praise the Lord for that. But uh, uh, it was traveling with Brother Clayton and uh, looking at passages that I had read dozens and dozens of dozens of times. But you see, when you put on a set of glasses that tilt you a certain way, you just miss things. 99% of the commentaries and things that are written about the Bible are written by people who 
need people to buy their books. And so if they write a definitive definition of baptism, people who don't believe that aren't going to buy their books. They're not going to listen to their radio show. You see, baptism is one of those divisive doctrines. Now, how many of you need me to to define the word divisive? I mean, it just does that. It's dividing. It's it's one of those things that makes people mad. And um, I remember years ago uh, in the old building, uh, we were having the Lord's Supper. And, and back then, we just would have it at the end of a service. And, and a little lady came up to me and she said, You think we Presbyterians are dirty Christians? She was from a foreign country and didn't. I said, No, ma'am. I said, No, no, no. But we believe that the Lord's Supper is only for those who are baptized members of our own church. She said, I don't believe that. I said, you're not a member here. I'm not trying to be mean to you. But we, we are trying to follow these things as simple and as biblical as, as we possibly can. The only thing that you share with us is the fact that you happen to be here this morning one time. That's not a lot of things to have in common. That's not a basis for a relationship. Our relationship in our church is based on doctrine. And we're going to, I hope you don't mind me spending some time, but there's there's just a lot out there. Ninety, Like I said, most of what you read, most of what you hear is not going to deal with the example of Jesus Christ and the biblical parameters that are set up here. And they're going to trivialize the differences. Could I challenge you that 500 years ago they fought wars and put people to death over these differences? And that we, by trivializing and saying this is non-essential, are really defaming the testimony of those who gave their lifeblood because they wanted to be baptized in Jesus' name. There's, there's a history. There, and we won't get into the history too much tonight, but... What we want to do is just start here, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've read that verse. And I never stopped and thought about what it said. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. John was baptizing in Jordan uh, across from Jericho, uh, about 60 miles away. It tells us that Jesus, very carefully here, left where he lived, went to where John was, and the sole purpose of that trip was to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, we understand why Jesus went there. John chapter 1, verse 6 There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
And uh, even in looking up an article, it was unbelievable how basically accurate Wikipedia is when it talks about baptism. And yet the standard inaccuracies always follow. Uh, it, it had a whole article in there uh, written by a Jewish man who claimed that New Testament baptism by immersion was a continuation of the Jewish washing rituals. Well, I mean, there might be some similarities, but see, in the Jewish washing rituals, you washed yourself. Baptism has to be done to you by someone else. How many would agree with me that's a huge break? That's a, that's a really big difference. You, you cannot say that there's a connection there uh, uh, organically, that it's just a simple continuation when you have the essentials of the ritual completely changed. Baptism was a brand new thing. Getting wet, well, that's about as old as the human race. Amen? Uh, that there was some religious rituals, including water. Again, that's as old as the human race. But when you come to a person, and, and again, if you, everyone here has heard me do this, because if you're a member of the church, I've talked to you about baptism. When a person of lesser importance wants to have a meeting, or a person of great importance wants to have a meeting with a person of lesser importance, how does it work? The person of greater importance contacts the person of lesser importance and says, I want you to come see me on my calendar. I mean, how many of you have been called into the office by the boss? At work, your supervisor. You don't say, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Um, maybe a week from next Tuesday uh, during coffee break. You, you don't do that. When the supervisor says, I, I need to talk to you right now, uh, that means right now, doesn't it? Uh, I had a preacher friend. This was back when... Um, uh, the second George Bush was president, and he was contacted and said, "We'd like you to come to the White House to be a to be a part of a of a meeting we're having with preachers." And uh, he was honored to be a part of that. He said, "You know what happened?" He said, "I got a call months before the meeting." He said, and "The next day, Secret Service agents came to visit me, and they took my fingerprints, and, and they did." a complete background check and they completely vetted me out and then they called me and told me when the appointment was. And they then they told me how I was supposed to dress when I was coming to the appointment and how early I should be there and that I should be there waiting for when the president would call uh, him and the other men into the room that there would be no delay, that there would be no Wasting of the president's time. And you know what? He gladly complied with all those things. And uh, he said it was a, a great uh, 
great highlight of, of his life, one of the special things in his life was to be able to be there and just sit in the same room and talk with the President of the United States. But he had to go through an awful lot to get there. So why did Jesus, who is the most important person in history, walk 60 miles to find John? Because he was recognizing John's authority to baptize. Now that word authority is a word we don't like today. But Jesus said, I want you to baptize me. Now, we know the passage there that John forbade, he forbid him. He's saying, I want to be baptized by you. And, and we'll try to touch on this at the end of the lesson. This, he's referring back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he spoke of in verse 11. But Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you get that statement there? Jesus said, If I am going to fill the standard of God's righteousness, if I'm going to be obedient to God, I must be baptized by you. And yet we have people that say, Well, the method of baptism and the mode of baptism and the a person who does the baptizing and, and when you're baptized, that's really not important. It was important enough for Jesus to walk 60 miles to find John the Baptist. I'd say to walk 60 miles, that's important. And Jesus said to John, if you don't baptize me, I cannot be Completely obedient to God. John had nothing to say. He said, I'm going to baptize you because I want to be obedient to God. And I understand that this is important. How many of you would agree that this statement that Jesus said sets a high level of importance on baptism? That as a Christian, if you're not properly scripturally baptized, you cannot be Totally obedient to Christ. That's a scary thought, isn't it? When most preachers don't care. Many religions don't. Now, the religions that really do care, they teach other things. They teach that baptism is salvation or has a part in your salvation. And and that's why they make it so important. Uh, Did Jesus need to be saved? No, he came to bring us salvation. Amen? But he said, if I'm going to give a proper testimony as a Christian, if I'm going to give a proper uh, obedience to God, I've got to be baptized by you. And John baptized him. Even Wikipedia says, Nearly every scholar agrees that the earliest form of baptism was immersion. And you know, if Wikipedia says so, it's got to be. No, (laughs) Uh, Wikipedia says so, take a grain of salt. But what I'm the point I'm simply making tonight is even Wikipedia is willing to recognize that the New Testament form of baptism is immersion. And if Wikipedia can figure that out, why can't people with seminary degrees? 
Why can't religions figure that out? If, if it's simple enough, if there's enough facts there that whoever does fact-checking at Wikipedia was willing to put that in print, uh, they, they had some things wrong. They said Anabaptists got that name because they were rebaptizers. And that's really not correct. We The name means against. It's because of our refusal to recognize baby baptism as baptism. And so, therefore, you needed to be baptized, not rebaptized. But we would, we would forgive uh, Wikipedia that small misunderstanding because they wouldn't uh, spend the time necessary unless whoever's doing the fact-checking would be a Baptist. But, so, Jesus was baptized by immersion. Then we have God speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And, of course, Jesus was standing there. And Peter and everyone that was there heard God speak from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What just happened? God identified Jesus Christ as the Messiah of the Jewish people. God himself spoke from heaven and identified Jesus Christ as his only begotten Son. Now, that's quite a statement, is it not? And yet, what did they say in John chapter 8 and John chapter 10 and John chapter 12? says, you being a man, make yourself God. Well, what did God just say? How many witnesses were here at his baptism? And this is establishes the last part of baptism, is baptism is a testimony of your faith in God. Okay? Baptism is your identification. And I've had many conversations, I'm sorry to say, over the years with people. Uh, I remember one fellow, he said, well, I was baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I said, do you believe anything that the Seventh-day Adventist cult teaches? He said, absolutely not. I said, well, then why do you consider that baptism? Because I got wet. I said, that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you... Be willing to be baptized and give a testimony of what you say you believe now. Well, what I did before was good enough. You see, that kind of conditioning comes from the world. Martin Luther was baptized as a baby into the Roman Catholic Church. Well, when he got a little older, he had a few problems with the Roman Catholic Church, didn't he? In fact, they kicked him out of the church and they would have burnt him at the stake if they could have only gotten their hands on him, if it hadn't been the armies of the Elector of Hanover protecting him. Do you know that Martin Luther never was baptized again? That he believed that what happened to him in the Catholic Church was full and sufficient, and yet the Catholic Church and Mr. Luther recognized that there was so many differences between what they believed doctrinally that they were totally 
irreconcilable. They could not be brought back together. He wrote 95 theses. How many of you are familiar with that term? You know what it means? He wrote 95 separate theses on 95 points of doctrinal corruption in the Catholic Church. And yet, he let his baptism stand. He didn't disagree about that. Isn't that amazing? And yet, Jesus said, if I'm not scripturally baptized, I cannot be obedient to Christ. This is one of the things that has set Baptist people, you go back 500 years, Anabaptist people. You go back before that, various names in history, but the doctrine was identifiably the same. This is one of the doctrines that they held, was baptism had to happen after salvation by a proper biblical Authority. Now, if we have any historians here, they will say, yes, but what about the Anabaptists of Switzerland who got together and baptized each other? Well, that happened. But as soon as that happened, you know what they did? They wouldn't accept baptism from any other group. They couldn't, they claimed they couldn't find a biblical authority to be baptized by. And so they baptized each other, and then they closed the circle, and they began practicing biblical baptism after that. Now, this is one of the reasons why we do not trace our history on an unbroken chain of baptisms. Because I'm not sure that we can prove that historically and honestly. And you say, where does our connection come in? Are we connected to those people? I honestly don't know. Uh, I don't believe so. Because John Clark was baptized properly in, in England in 16, whatever it was, in 1634. He came and started the first Baptist church. It wasn't Roger Williams. It was a man named John Clark in Rhode Island. In fact, uh, Roger Williams' congregation was baptized by John Clark, most of them, and they became Baptist and followed Mr. Clark, Reverend Clark. And we can trace the history of Baptist churches in America back to that single church in Rhode Island. But I'll tell you, I'd be hard-pressed. I know uh, I was I was actually baptized as a sophomore in Bible college at Grace Bible Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. And I have no idea who baptized my pastor at that time. I was ordained by the Cleveland Baptist Church. Brother Thompson was sent out to start the Cleveland Baptist Church in 1958 by uh, Dallas Billington, pastor of the Akron Baptist Temple. He came from Kentucky about the turn of the last century. Uh... That's all I know. You see, I believe our loyalty needs to be to the Bible and to doctrine. And see, I do not have an excuse for not finding a good church that could baptize me. 
I did that as a sophomore in Bible college. It was rather embarrassing. Here I am, a student at Bible college, preparing for the ministry. And I started just thinking about things and reading my Bible and say, you know, I, I don't think I got it done right when I was a kid. Because I got baptized when I was eight and I got saved when I was 11. And my pastor said, what is wrong with you? I said, well, the church I grew up in, they never made a big deal. I tried to explain it to somebody and he said, don't worry about it. He says, are you going to be a Baptist preacher? I said, I hope so. He said, well, you better worry about it. And so we did and we got it taken care of. It's just that simple. And we can follow this through the Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. People have often asked, what are the requirements to be a member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Right there. They gladly received the, they that gladly received the word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So, When someone comes, I ask three questions. Number one, can you give me a testimony of biblical salvation? Okay. Number two, can you give me a testimony of biblical baptism after salvation? Say, well, actually, I can't. Well, let's get that taken care of. That's what this baptistry is for. Amen? And by the way, the Greek church is baptizing their first person Sunday. And so... uh, Andrew, don't let me forget to fill the baptistry and get the heater on and put it in the phone there. And uh, uh, they'll be doing that Sunday afternoon, I believe. And so we praise the Lord for that. And uh, the third question is, are you willing to continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine? We've had some people come and say, oh, I'm, I'm ready to serve. And I remember... Uh, going over to visit to one couple, and I said, why? I looked on the visitor cards. I noticed that uh, you had different last names and you didn't have uh, different addresses. I said, oh, yes, Pastor, we're living together right now, but we're going to get married next year. I said, well, that doesn't work, work that way. You see, you can't follow Jesus' doctrine and be living against the standards of the Bible. And this is what she said to me. She said, you know, we've already talked about this. You could tell who was in charge. And uh, we decided that if you said anything else, we couldn't respect you as a man of God. I said, oh, let me tell you. We, if you want to have a nice private ceremony, I said, get the marriage license. I'll help you out. And then you can have your big wedding next year. Oh, no, we can't do that. We'll, we'll wait. I said, so you respect me as a man of God, but you're not going to be obedient to the Bible. Well, we wouldn't put it that way, but that, that's about the size of it. And never became members of our church. Because we want to follow the biblical pattern. Believe. Be immersed by a biblical authority. And continue steadfastly in doctrine. That's the biblical pattern. You can't in you can't deny that. You can't argue against that. It was practiced in Acts chapter two. We get to Acts chapter eight, and the Ethiopian eunuch. You can look up the verses there. He says, "What doth hinder me to be baptized?" And Philip said, 
You've got to believe with your heart first. He said, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let's get this thing done. Somebody said, what authority did Philip baptize under? Uh, he was a member of the church at Jerusalem. Amen. And uh, well, where, where did the Ethiopian eunuch go to church when he left? Uh, we don't know. He went to Ethiopia. And we do know that a very few short years afterwards, there was a Christian church in the country of Ethiopia because there were many people of the Jewish faith in Ethiopia. That goes back to the Solomon the king and the queen of Sheba. She was actually the queen of Ethiopia. And um, in fact, there was a Jewish community. Some of you remember this back in the 60s when Ethiopia fell to the uh, communist Israel life-flighted hundreds of Ethiopian Jews out of Ethiopia back to the land of Israel. And that's where they and their descendants. King Haile Selassie was associated uh, with the Baptist Bible Fellowship. And one of his grandchildren, I believe, was actually attending the college. He was a believer in the gospel. Now, some bad things happened, and Ethiopia has been set back by the communists and all of those things, but I want you to understand that there is a pattern. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Ghost was manifest in Cornelius and those that believed that were with him, and then Peter said, how can we deny baptism to these that we know are saved. And they willingly were baptized. And Peter rehearsed the matter, and we spent some time in Sunday school on this thing, and we get to Acts chapter 19. And now we are far removed. This is the Apostle Paul. We're probably 25 years or so from the uh, ministry of Jesus Christ, and even more than that, Closer to 30 years from the time of John the Baptist. And these guys were baptized under John's baptism. And Paul said, you're, you're Christians? You don't act like Christians? You don't look like Christians? You don't... He said, we were baptized under John's baptism. He says, do you know who Jesus is? And they said, no. We've never heard of him. Can you be saved without believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? No, you cannot. And so Paul preached to them Jesus. They believed on Jesus. They got saved. Then they got baptized. Then they experienced the same phenomena that was in Acts chapter 2. And again, what this all was, was God showing something that you cannot get saved without personally believing in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about salvation, but that is what salvation is. Baptism comes after salvation. This is the biblical pattern in the Bible. You believe first. You get baptized second. It's a public testimony. There, there were no exceptions. There were no alternatives the authority was there, and as I alluded to, and we will spend more time on this when we get to the history section, but 
There are some inconsistencies in history because there are inconsistencies in the human race. It's not my job to explain inconsistencies in history. But I do have a responsibility to find a church where I can be obedient to the Bible. Amen? And so, now I hope this doesn't confuse things, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the other uses of the word baptism in the Bible. And we'll sum this up. Ephesians, we'll get ahead of the outline here a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 says, There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, what is that one baptism? Well, the only baptism you and I can have a part in is water baptism. Somebody said, what about baptism, Holy Spirit? We'll get to that in a minute. But I can't baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? You say, well, what about, what about uh, the baptism for the dead? How many of you knew that verse was in your Bible? Let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is actually a phrase out of the Bible. And, and again, we're not afraid of anything that is in the Bible. We love the Bible. The Bible is not contradictory. But if you'll take a phrase out of context, and if you'll take it all by itself, you can make the Bible say anything you want. And so Paul has just finished a treatise on world history and the history of the church in verse 28. And he says, when all things shall be subdued unto him, talking about Jesus, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that God may be all in all. Now, Paul just finishes this thought. This is the end of everything. This is the summation that we find in the book of Revelation. Now he goes to verse 29 and says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And so what Paul is saying here, this is the great chapter about the resurrection of the dead. If there be no resurrection, we are all men most miserable. He says... The resurrection has put all things under Jesus' feet. That hasn't happened yet, but when it does, Jesus himself is going to be subject to the Father, that God may be all in all. Then we might reword it not to change the text. We believe what the Bible says. The words are there, and I'll be the first to admit that some of these words are a little difficult. But if you'll read the context, what is he talking about? 
He's talking about suffering, is he not? Suffering even unto death. You see, Jesus in his earthly ministry referred to something in several places. But in Luke chapter 12, I want you to turn there, verse 50. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, verse 50. Jesus says, But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Now, wait a minute. Jesus was baptized by John, was he not? But now he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I am straightened. He says, I am troubled. It constrains me. It changes me to think about this baptism that I have to be baptized with yet. He was talking about the cross. He was talking about the suffering of death so that we could have life. If you'll read also in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 20 and Mark chapter 10, these are parallel passages talking about the same thing. Uh, John, James and John's mother had come and said, I want one son to sit on the right hand, the other son to sit on the left hand. And what was Jesus' statement? He says, can you drink of the cup that I have to drink of? Now, what was that cup? It was the one he prayed about in the garden. Amen? Amen? And he said, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized of. Now, praise the Lord, we don't have to die to pay the price for sins. Jesus did that for us. Amen? We do not have to drink the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. Jesus did that for us. Amen? But we still have to drink the cup of suffering if we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. James was beheaded for the cause of Christ. That's why Jesus said, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism. And... That fits what Paul's talking about when he uses this, what we might say an awkward phrase, the baptism for the dead. He's talking about fighting with beasts at Ephesus and standing in jeopardy every hour. He's talking, it's, it's just simply that's all that it is. See, the word baptize, baptize simply means to immerse. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, baptism of fire? Not in the biblical sense. We understand in the biblical sense it's talking about the lake of fire, which is eternal damnation. But uh, when, uh, if you've ever watched an old war movie, every one of them, uh, we had our baptism of fire on Guadalcanal if it's World War II or one of these other things like this. And even if you read the Wall Street Journal, they'll talk about some uh, new person uh, getting into the stock market and all of this stuff and the stock market tanks and they have their baptism of fire. 
You see, we get our usage of English from this book called the Bible. And the word baptized just simply means to be immersed. And people, even to this day, not even for the cause of Christ, are sometimes immersed in suffering. And that would be proper English to use it that way. And that's how it's used in our Bible. And so when you get a hold of some nutcase who starts talking about uh, we need to baptize people for dead people so that their dead souls can go to heaven, just give them a new roll of tinfoil. Amen. How many of you know what I mean by that? Not trying to be mean, but you got you got to understand that somebody who would make that statement just does not understand much about the Bible. And so, then we get baptism in the Red Sea. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. A lot of people have fun with this. And what they like to do is they like to see, say, see here, uh, uh, the church in the New Testament is the continuation of Israel in the Old Testament. Israel disappears and the church appears and God has thrown off His people. Now, is that what this passage says? Absolutely not. You see... Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, what he's saying is, if you were going to be a part of Israel, you had to pass through the water And you had to separate yourself from the world. And you had to be identified with Jesus Christ. Now, does that sound like baptism? You see, baptism is you have faith in God. You make that choice. Not all of Israel necessarily left Egypt. There were many Egyptians, actually, that chose to leave with Israel as well. There was a mixed multitude there. That followed and caused a lot of problems. But they separated themselves from the world. They were already under the blood because of the Passover. Picture of salvation. They went through the sea. And it wasn't six inches of water. The Bible says it was a wall on both sides and it drowned the entire army of Pharaoh. In fact, we could say that Pharaoh and his army were baptized as well. They just didn't come up for air. Amen? And um, yet the pattern and the biblical picture fits, doesn't it? There was a belief. There was a passing through the water. There was a separation from the world unto God to serve Him. There was a biblical authority guy named Moses, that led them. It's a picture. That same picture was created uh, over a thousand years before with a guy named Noah. You see, Noah, by faith, in obedience to God, did what? Build an ark. And they went into the ark 
And the ark went through the water, and they were all saved. Now, did the water save them? No, the water killed everything that was outside the ark. It was the ark that saved them. Uh, Are we still following the same picture? Faith in Jesus Christ, and we enter into Jesus Christ, and we pass through Uh, The water, we are separated from the world so that we can be servants of Jesus Christ and have the testimony that I obeyed God. See, they're just, this is what we call biblical pictures or typology. And the word baptism fits in all of these pictures. Now, we talk about baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and let's just go back to Matthew chapter 3 here. And we spent time last time we were together, two weeks ago, on what this is. In verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then he uses the picture of the old threshing floor, how that the wheat is gathered into the garner, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and how the chaff is burned up with unquenchable fire, the baptism of fire. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation, is the hope of eternity with God in heaven, the fruit, the wheat into the garner, And the baptism of fire is in the lake of fire forever and ever. So why did they speak in tongues? So to give a testimony to the people that were then there that the Holy Spirit was actually in them. The Jews on the day of Pentecost. Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. These group of men who had believed as much as they could, but they didn't have all the truth, and so they still needed to get saved to prove that salvation only comes through a personal knowledge in Jesus Christ. It all fits a biblical picture. So when we get to passages like Romans chapter 6, where it says we're baptized into Jesus' death, could I ask you, Could that possibly happen when you get wet in the water, when it already has happened the moment you got saved? Amen? You see, the moment you get saved, Jesus' death is counted for yours, and you are free from your sin because Jesus paid for it on the cross. Do you believe that tonight? You say amen? So, what Paul is talking about is the work of the Holy Spirit of God at the time of salvation. That's something that God does. That's why we end with Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5. There is only one Lord. He died for us. He came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, those that are saved, with fire, those who are unsaved. He gave us a symbol, a picture, the proper word, ordinance, because it has to happen a specific way. 
How is it supposed to happen? Number one, you have to have a proper candidate, someone who has believed, someone who is saved. Next, you need to have a proper authority. That is, at first it was John the Baptist. Then Jesus commissioned his church in Matthew chapter 28. And so, you have to have a Bible-believing, and I believe the name ought to be Baptist, because that's just being honest about how you believe the Bible. You say, I don't want to identify with anybody. Well, then you're going to identify with all the loony kazoonies on late-night television. Is that really who you want to be identified with? Because those are the people that have no names. I don't want to be identified with them. How many of you found out it was a really hard step for you to believe that modern-day Baptists were connected to a group in the Middle Ages called Anabaptist. Was that a huge step for anybody? Because they believed the same thing. It's not really a step, it's just a name change. And you see, we can go back, and we will in every century since Jesus walked the face of the earth, and we will find people who practiced what we practice in our church today. I don't go back and trace my history all the way back to John the Baptist. I have not, if I could find the historical records that would give me a year-by-year account of the life of everybody all the way back, hey, that'd be great. I believe it's there. But even if I spent my whole life trying to find it, I would be disobeying the things that God told me to do. And so, I need to be busy obeying the Lord. And if I want to prove that I'm doing what the Bible says, I'll give you the same thing that I've given since day one of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. When you hear me preach, you make sure that what I'm saying is written down in this book. You see, this is the proof. This is the authority. And by the way, my preacher who ordained me believed the same way I do. I don't think I need to go back any farther than that. And when we sent Brother Newberger out, he came, he became a member of our church, came from a good church down in Maryland. And now he's going to start a new church. You see, that's how simple it is. This doctrine called baptism divides us from every other religious organization on the face of the earth. That's why we call it a distinctive. We could call it a distinctive characteristic, to be most correct, but... It is something that is distinctive about the Baptist church. Believers' baptism. Many people have copied. Do you know that the Mormon church copied the doctrine and practice uh, of Baptist and baptism? They immerse people after they get saved. Now, they immerse people for the dead. Uh, if you have family members that died without being part of the Mormon church, you can go and get baptized for them. And the dead souls of your family will go to the Mormon heaven with you, and you'll be their God one day. And if you believe that, sign up for counseling. 
because you need it. I don't know how that how they people believe this stuff, but they do. When the Bible is so simple, you believe on Jesus Christ alone. Then you get dipped in water, picturing his death back into the water, his burial under the water, his resurrection out of the water. You know what you're doing? You're separating yourself from other religions, from the world at large, unto Jesus Christ and his church to serve him. That happened to Israel when they left Egypt. That happened to Noah's family when they got in the ark. Those are pictures. And yes, you may be immersed in suffering to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the baptism for the dead. Because many, many, many people have died. Just to be called a Christian. We want to honor the scriptures. As well as the great history of those who have honored the scriptures with obedience even unto death. Baptism is important, my friend. Jesus said you couldn't be right with God. You couldn't be totally righteous without it. And I'd encourage you, if baptism is a problem, let's get it fixed. That's what the baptistry is for. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we uh, had to baptize a few people before Brother Kalitas baptized tomorrow uh, Sunday afternoon? That would not be a problem around here. Amen? Let's, but we're not going to chase you down and drag you down the aisle and baptize you. We don't believe that. I remember there's a joke in some movie. He said, give me a garden hose. He said, some preacher said, give me a hose. He said, I can baptize everybody. (laughs) What does that signify? I'll tell you, when you come forward and publicly surrender to baptism in a Baptist church in Jesus' name, you are signifying something. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for baptism. Lord, we thank you that, that we can look and we can see that there is a difference in what people believe about this thing. And Lord, we ask that you would just help our church to be faithful to your word. And Lord, we pray that if there be those, in, even in this auditorium tonight, that have not been properly baptized, possibly not even saved, that they would stop and think and examine the Bible and understand that what was taught tonight is simply what the Bible teaches. Lord, help us to love you to obedience. Before we finish that prayer tonight, we'll just have the piano play. If anybody needs to come, the altar's open.